0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, 10 o'clock? How you doing? All right, this side of the room's got to wake up. What's up, 10 o'clock? How you doing, left side? How you doing, right side? How side? How you doing, left side? All right, that was a little bit better. Hey, have you ever like known something but you didn't really know if you could even explain it? Like you you kind of know it, you kind of think it, you're pretty sure you're aware of what it means but you're not even sure you could explain what it means. You're not sure that you really, really, truly grasp The meaning of what you're talking about when you start talking about that idea or that principle or that thing. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're going to start a brand new series today. For the next three weeks, we're talking about this idea of three in one. And three in one is really the concept, the idea of the Trinity, Now the Trinity is a word that's thrown around in Christian culture, it's thrown around in the church some, and it's really referencing God, and we're talking about God when we talk about the Trinity, but the the word Trinity actually never appears in the Bible. It wasn't even really used until the second century, Tertullian started using it in the second century, it was accepted in the fourth and fifth century, and it was kind of readily available then for people to start using to describe God. When I was growing up, the Trinity, as it was explained to me, talking about God, God the Father, God the Creator, God God the Son, the person of Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Those three people, entities, things, whatever your background might be, those three were explained to me using the illustration of an egg. Anybody ever heard the Trinity explained as an egg? You have three distinct parts of an egg, but you have one egg. So you have the shell and you have the yolk. and So you kind of break it down into the ways that it goes. Well, I tried to come up with something even more creative than that today. Are you ready for this? I couldn't come up with anything. So, Just in your head, imagine the three components of an egg, and that's the Trinity. No, I'm just kidding. So when we're talking about the Trinity, we are talking about God the Father. We're talking about Jesus, the person that's referenced in the New Testament of the Bible and then throughout, it's prophesied in the Old Testament, and then the Holy Spirit. And when I was growing up in the church, I did grow up in church, so some of you may have experienced like me. Maybe you uh, were kind of given the opportunity to understand God the Creator, God, maybe the God that you prayed to, God that was introduced to you as the, the deity out there somewhere, the kind of supreme being out there somewhere. So you were kind of familiar with God and this concept of God and God as a person, God as an entity, God as a thing, God as a force, God as a spirit, something. And then maybe you also knew that there was like this guy named Jesus in the Bible, And Jesus was the son of God. Maybe you heard that he claimed that. Or maybe you kind of thought he was a good teacher. Or maybe you thought something else about him. But you have Jesus, this other person, who then claimed not just to be the son of God. But he said, no one can get to the father. No one can get to God unless they come through me. And then later in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was recognized here as Jesus. And later was understood to, to be that. The word was with God. And the Word was God. So in the beginning, you had Jesus, the Word, and He was with God, the Father, and then He was God, the Father. And so you're like, okay, well, all right, I kind of think I understand that, but I'm not really sure. And then you have the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was growing up, we were very familiar with God, and it was taught taught about God. We were very familiar with Jesus. We were taught about Jesus. I don't know how much teaching I ever received about the Holy Spirit, but we always talked about feeling Him. We always talked about knowing He was around and feeling Him and feeling His presence. And so I was comfortable with the idea that there was God and there was Jesus and there was the Holy Spirit. And then I understood that there was this egg thing. There was like three parts and there was one thing and it was kind of all this one thing. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to unpack the whole idea of the Trinity. As best we can in three different sermons, three weeks, we're going to take God the Father... Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct parts, three distinct people, and we're going to try to understand them better, but not just separately, we're also going to try to understand them together, their relationship with one another, the way that they interact with one another, and how you and I interact with them individually and collectively. And so as we do that, I think it's important... For us to understand three basic central ideas if we're going to accept the doctrine of the Trinity. And now you're like, whoa, you just threw the word doctrine in here. And I think this is about to get really heady. So everybody buckle up for just a second. Put your thinking caps on. That's what my teacher always told me in elementary school. Put your thinking caps on. And we're going to look at three central ideas, three central pieces that you have to, have to keep in mind the entire three weeks that we're going to talk about this. Because it helps to shape the entire conversation. The first of those central ideas is this. We are talking about one God. We're not talking about three different gods. We're not talking about three different God beings. We're talking about one God. So as you and I start talking for three weeks, today we're focusing on one aspect, next week a different aspect, the third week a different aspect. As we do that, don't get away from the idea that there is one God. There are not three gods, there is one God. The second idea, the central idea that you have to understand is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each fully And eternally God. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean is when we talk about God the Father today, we are not saying that that is one-third of God and you have to have the other two-thirds to make up God. God the Father is fully God alone. Jesus, God Jesus the Son, is fully God alone. And the Holy Spirit is fully God alone. Fully God, by themselves. They don't have to have the other two-thirds to be God, but when you put the three together, they are one God. They are also eternally God individually. And what I mean by that, and again, I know we're getting real heady here to start. I think we're going to unpack this over three weeks, so you need to be here all three weeks. We may give out $100 bills in week three. I don't know. We're probably not, but we may. So what I'm saying about eternally God is it's not like God started in the beginning And then Jesus showed up in the New Testament and then he left and left us the Holy Spirit and that's when they started. They were all together from the beginning of the story and will be together through the end of time. This is an eternal God that exists in three distinct persons and all of them are fully God and eternally God. And the third central idea is this. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each distinct people. And so again... As we talk about God the Father today, we are not just talking about God the Father. We're talking about Jesus and the Spirit. And we're talking about all this together, but we're also talking about God the Father. When we talk next week about Jesus, we're talking about God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the ways that we interact, but we're talking about Jesus distinctly. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in two weeks. We're talking about God the Father and Jesus together, but we're also talking specifically about the Holy Spirit. And so as you go through these three weeks together so that you can get your hundred dollars in two weeks, you have to understand that there is one God, they are each fully and eternally God, and that they are distinct persons individually, all right? So you got your thinking caps on, keep your thinking caps on, all right? So that's where we're going to be today. Today we're going to start by talking about God as Father. And we're going to spend some time talking about Probably the aspect of God and the person of this Godhead, the person of the Trinity, that most of us have heard the most about. Now, maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus because of teaching through the Bible or being in church. But God the Father... And some way that we interact with this deity, this being, this person out there, whatever your background, is probably the God, the the part of God that we are the most comfortable with, the aspect of God, the person of God, this distinct person. So it's probably the one that we're most familiar with in some form or some fashion. And so today we're going to talk about God. And to do that, we're going to talk about Him as Father, and we're going to find... This story in the book of Luke, chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. But here's what I know when we start talking about God as Father. Some of you this morning walk in here with a very distorted view of fatherhood. We just sang a song a few minutes ago about He's a good, good Father, He's perfect in all of His ways. And when we sing a song like that, I've said from the stage before that, you know, he's a good father. And, you, you know, you may have a bad earthly father, but he's a good heavenly father. And I believe that and I mean that. Some of you in the room, you say, well, I have a great father. And so wherever you are on the spectrum, maybe you say, you know, my dad, he was a jerk. Like he, he left us. He lied to us. He was unfaithful. He, he cheated. He, he couldn't be trusted. Whatever he said, we couldn't believe. There were lapses of time where we didn't know where he was at, where we didn't see him. And so when you start talking about he's a good father, like, I don't even know how to get my mind to that place. Or maybe you say, no, no, I mean, my dad's a great dad. If he's still living, like I, I still talk to him regularly. If he's not living, or, or you know, he I talked to him every day, every week. We we did holidays together. Maybe he supported me. He affirmed me. He was he was loving and caring, and he 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 was supportive of me. Like whatever. If you looked up good father in the encyclopedia, like that's a picture of my dad. Like I see it right there. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do before we jump into the story today. Wherever you are on that continuum, if your dad was just the worst person imaginable or if your dad was the greatest man to live and walk the earth next to Jesus or somewhere in between, I'm going to ask you to take that out of your mind for a few minutes and sit it in the chair beside you. If there's somebody sitting beside you, ask them to slide over. Just take it out, put it beside you. Some of you are with me today. I, I, can, I can feel you. Thank you so much. But just take that out. Even if you have to take your hands almost, and I said this at 830, even if you have to take your hands and just kind of put them right here and like legitimately ask the Lord, Lord, help me take this out of my mind for just a few minutes and set it aside so that I don't allow the filter of my understanding of earthly father to warp my understanding of you as a heavenly father. Because if it's a terrible picture, it's going to warp that view. If it's a great picture, it's going to warp that view. Because here's the reality. While there are things that we can learn from our relationships with earthly fathers when we're trying to look to God as Father, there are so many more aspects of God in that role in our lives that we cannot understand it if we are limited to what we've seen here on earth. So take it out of your mind just for a moment. Sit it aside. And let's take a journey together into Luke chapter 15. Luke is a story where Jesus is talking with some religious leaders Some experts in the law. And they're actually on Jesus' case because he had dinner with sinners. He ate with sinners. And that was like a no-no in that day and time. And so they are challenging Jesus about why he would actually spend time with sinners. And so Jesus, there's three stories that come after this in this context of him being criticized for what's happening. The first story is the one of the lost sheep You see that there's a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep gets lost. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. And scripture tells us that when he finds that one, he puts it up on his shoulders and he carries it back to the flock and he reunites it to the flock. And then he brings everybody together and they have a big party because the one that was lost has been found. The Bible tells us there, and we quote this a lot when people take that first step into relationship with Jesus Christ, that how much greater is the celebration and the party in heaven when even one sinner comes to find life in Christ? And there's this huge party when the shepherd has left the flock to come back after he finds that lost sheep. The second story is about a woman who has ten coins. And she loses one of those coins. And so she puts the other nine coins away in a safe place and she starts searching her entire house to find this lost coin. And I don't know, it's not exactly written like this, but she scours the house. She's looking under her bed and she's looking in the couch cushions. And if she looked in the couch cushions of my house, she would find that coin and other coins and Cheetos and pins and the remote So, I mean, she should have looked in couch cushions. So she looks everywhere. She looks under the rug. She looks in the closet. She looks everywhere. And eventually she finds the lost coin, and she brings that lost coin, and she reunites that lost coin with the nine that have been, uh, been safe the whole time, and she calls her neighbors and says, come and celebrate at my house, because what was once lost has been found. And then we come to the story. Of the lost son. Now, in your Bible or maybe in a prior conversation or prior message, you might have heard this is the story of the prodigal son. For today's purposes, we're going to call it the lost son because we had a lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son. And here's the story of the lost son in a nutshell. You had a father who had two sons. And the youngest of those sons comes to his father one day and says, Dad, I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. I want what you owe me. And so I want you to split your estate. If you want to go ahead and give my brother what's his, that's fine. But whatever you do with his half, that's up to you. I want my half. I want you to give me what's coming to me eventually, but I want you to give it to me now. So the father splits his estate. He gives the youngest son his part of the inheritance. And it says that a little time later, that younger son takes the inheritance and he leaves his father's house and he goes off to a distant country. And in that country, he just squanders everything that he has received from his father on just, I mean, wild, immoral living. And he he squanders all of that money to the place where he eventually finds himself broke. He has no money left. And when he gets to that place, about that same time as luck would have it, There's a famine in the land. So now he's hungry and he has no money to buy food. And so he goes and gets a job with a farmer who has pigs. Now, if there's a famine in the land, I don't know if his job was to guard the pigs so that people didn't come along and steal them. Because I'm thinking people may want to eat them. Probably not the Hebrew people. I mean, that's a Bible joke. Some of you won't get that. But they didn't so much eat bacon. But... See, that was funnier than y'all gave it credit for, even though I heard you. Some of the 10 o'clock crowd's still not with me yet. So I don't know if he had to, like, guard the sheep because of the, I mean, the, the, the pigs because of the famine, I'm not really sure. But one day he finds himself in the pig pen, and he's down in the pig pen, and he's down in the pig slop, and he is so hungry. His stomach is talking to him and probably rebuking him for spending all his money. And he looks down, and he sees what the pigs are eating, and he says, man, I... I think I might even want to eat what the pigs are eating. I am so hungry. I would eat these pods that the pigs are even eating here today. And then he comes to his senses and he says, what am I doing? I'm in a pig pen watching pigs thinking about eating their food when at my father's house there are servants who are working for my father who are not having to beg for food. And he devises a plan. He says, here's what I'll do. I'll get up, I'll go to my father's house, and I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And that sounds like a good idea to him. And so he's kind of, okay, I think I'm going to do this. So he gets up, and he tells the guy, thanks so much for the work. I appreciate the job. I'm actually going to return. I've got some work in a distant country that I think I can do. And he gets up, and he starts walking towards his father's house. And I assume, I may be wrong, but I assume that on the way, he's probably practicing his speech He's thinking, man, Dad may be mad. He may be upset that I left, that I lost everything he gave me. And so I've got to really have my words down. And so, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired servants. Oh, that sounds good. I think I can do this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Okay, I think I've got this. And he continues walking. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. Says this reading for about four verses. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. As I read this story, the story that I've just told you and the portion of the story that we've just read, I come away with several observations that I believe help us to understand God in this story as the role of the father. When I'm reading this story, even though it's the story of the lost son, I see some things in the story of the father here in this that I think all of us can glean from. And so some observations that I make out of this story is that first... When the son asks for his inheritance, he's actually saying to his dad, you are dead to me. He's saying to his father when he asked for his inheritance, he says, listen, I'm not as concerned with maintaining relationship with you as I am getting what I can benefit from you. You're dead to me. I don't want to stay here in your house and have the opportunity to sit at the breakfast table with you and talk to you And ask you questions when I don't know what to do and glean from your wisdom. I am less concerned with your presence than I am your possessions. You're dead to me. Now, I'm a father of four kids. And if any of them said that, that would break my heart. Because it's not about me giving them things. I attempt to give them things now. It's not about me giving them possessions or giving of my possessions. But, man, I'm just thinking, like, if my kids, any of my kids came to me and said, listen, you got four kids. I want you to split what you have four ways and give me my quarter of the estate. I would say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. Let's 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 up your let's up your allowance. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's let's go from $20 to $25. Let's go let's go to $50. Whatever the age, whatever the, the the context of this story, like I don't, I don't, don't leave us. Don't take all of this. This is this is something we're building. I hope if we can keep it together, we can build even more and have more inheritance for you down the road. He says, no, 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 listen, Dad, you're dead to me. I don't care that I get to stay with you. I just want what you can give me. That's a pretty brutal conversation to be had. And we don't know if there was a conversation that happened here between the father and the son after the son asks for that. We're not privy in the writing here, the recording of Luke. We're not privy to a conversation where that dad said, hey, can we up the inheritance? Maybe I can let you get a part-time job off the ranch here. Like, I don't let's, let's work something out. We don't have that. All we have is that the dad did what the son asked him to do. Here you go. Here's half of everything that I have. Eventually it will belong to you, so if you're asking for it today, it's yours. You say I'm dead to you, whether you put that in words or not. It breaks my heart, but here you go. The second observation that I have is that after the son took what was his... He went off into this distant country. He squandered it through this immoral living, all the things that he did. He lost all of his money. He finds himself in a pig pen. He makes up this scheme. I'm going to go back and try to become a servant in my father's house. He comes walking back towards his father's house. He eventually gets on the road. He gets like down the long driveway, the road that leads to the cul-de-sac, that leads to the driveway. He is some distance away, and it says that the father saw him. Look again in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's important to me because it doesn't say that one of the servants who was working out in the field saw the son walking down the road and came and told the father, Hey, the son that took half of your estate went off and squandered it. We've heard the stories. We heard what he did. Like we saw the thing like he left, he's coming back. You know, his shoulders are a little, you know, hunched over. He looks like, man, like pig slop. Like, I don't even, he looks terrible. I mean, one guy walked by and got a whiff. He stinks. Like, hey, you may want to go see what's happening. Take him around the back. I don't really know how you... Then the master goes, I don't know. It says that the master saw him far off. Now, I want to be careful here not to read too much into the story. But what I do have in the text is that when the shepherd lost a sheep... He left the ninety-nine and went to find the one. When the woman lost the ten coins, she left the nine coins to scour the house to find the one. And yet in the story of the lost son, the dad stayed home. The dad stayed home. And yet the dad saw him at a great distance. I want to be careful. I don't want to add too much to the story here, but I assume because I'm a father that if I was the father in this story and one of my children has taken possessions and moved away, they have squandered this and I haven't heard from them and I don't know what's happening to them. I don't know if they're still alive. I don't know if they have a roof over their head. I know there's a famine in the land. I don't know if they have anything to eat. I'm assuming that the dad just finds a way to end up on the front porch so he can see down the driveway. That instead of coming in from the field when it's dinner time and going straight to the kitchen, he walks around the side of the house, ends up on the porch, and he just lingers for a moment looking down the road before he goes in to eat. I'm assuming, because it says he saw him a far distance off, that maybe there had been times when he was looking down that road and he saw a shadow walking towards the house and it. Kind of sort of looked like his son. It was about the same height, about the same weight, like he kind and he took off running only to realize about halfway there that it was somebody else when he turned around and walked home. Until this day. When he winds up looking down the road at the exact time his son is coming home, and he takes off running, just like the shepherd who went after the sheep, just like the woman who went after the coin. To get his son. He winds up face to face. His son starts the story. And that's the third observation that I make here. Remember, his son had this speech prepared in his head Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your side, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. But look again at verse 21. It said, The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22 But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You remember the speech? He molded over in his head, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Before he could add the last line, the dad cut him off. The dad didn't even let him finish the speech. I mean, how rude. He had prepared the speech, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. This was not a culture like America. You finish what you're saying before the next person starts talking. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's almost like the dad couldn't contain himself. He just jumps in and says, quick, servants. Thanks, son. I appreciate what you're saying. Hold on just a second. Go get the robe. Go get the ring. Go get the sandals. Kill the big cow. Bring him in. We're about to have a party. My son who was dead is alive. My son who was lost is found. He cut him off before he had the opportunity to say, make me one of your hired servants. That's important because the son was approaching out of his past. He was approaching out of his mistakes. He was approaching out of his guilt and his shame. He was saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I I don't even know that I can look you in the eyes. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad put the robe on him. And the dad put the ring on his finger. And the dad put sandals on his feet so that everybody on the property and everybody in town would know, that's my boy. That's my robe. That's my ring. Those are my sandals. There's a famine in the land, but it doesn't matter. Kill the biggest cow we've got. We're going to have a party because my son is home. My son, the boy who didn't think he was worthy to be called son, was called son by his father. Because here's the thing. You know who calls me son? Not my kids, not my wife, not me, my dad. I don't actually have the right to take that name away from myself. Only he does. My dad calls me son. I can't walk up to my dad and say, I'm, I'm no longer your son. Because as much as I may even want that to be true, I'm still his boy. I'm still his son. I can't say to him, make me as one of your hired servants. I can't say, I want a different role. I want a different identity in your life. He says, no, 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 you're my son. Before you can even get through your prepared speech, before you can even wallow in self-pity and guilt and condemnation, I raise your chin up. I put my clothes on you. I put my identity ring on you. And I call you by your name, son. That's what a father does. A father looks off to see you coming home and runs after you to restore you to your rightful place as son. So if I were to sum up these three observations, I would sum them up this way. First, God loves us so much that he lets us make our own bad decisions. God loves us so much that he lets us make our own bad decisions. This is probably one of the hardest things for me to do as a father. I want to jump in every time I see my kids doing something that I know is a mistake in their homework or in their life. They're working on sixth grade math or second grade English. When I see them misspell a word, I want to correct it. When I see them doing wrong arithmetic, I want to correct it. But if I jump in every time, they won't learn. They won't recognize why they're making that mistake so that they can make a correction and do it better next time. That's a big deal. I realize that there are huge things in their lives that sometimes I'll have to intervene in, and I do. And I don't just let them do everything they want to do. I step in and I say no. I step in and say, no, this is a dangerous road. You can't go down this road. But this is a constant tension to be managed as a father for me. But God loves us enough to let us make our own bad decisions. God created humanity with free will. That's a whole other sermon by itself. Probably a three-week series. But God loves us enough to give us free will. He created us to allow us to choose whether or not we want to love Him, to choose whether or not we want to serve Him, to choose whether or not we want to live in ways that He has outlined for us in Scripture. And He loves us so much that He's going to let us make our own decisions, whether they're good or bad. That father said, listen... I think it's a bad idea for you to take your inheritance because really, more money just makes you more of who you already are. So he was probably wasting his allowance at home already. He was probably squandering what he had already. So I think the dad probably thought, this is a terrible idea. Why would you do, like this is a terrible idea and yet, he allowed him to make his own decisions. The second thing that I would say is this, God loves us so much that he never stops looking for us. Now, When we read the story of the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, we see him leave the flock and go. When we see the woman who had the lost coin, we see her leave the nine coins to go look for the other coin. But in this story, remember the dad stayed home, and yet he saw him at a great distance. So I want you in your mind to picture this. If it's not about him leaving the house to go pursue his son, he was at least searching the landscape, searching the horizon, looking for his boy. He loves us enough to keep looking for us, to keep searching us, to keep seeking us. I know sometimes in my life when I have turned away from God, when there were times that I turned away and I did my own thing, it was easy for me to think that I was actually leaving God. And yet every single time, as soon as I took one step back to him, he was right there. He was right there. I thought I had created this incredible distance between us, this great chasm between us, and yet as soon as I made one step, God, forgive, I'm forgiven. God, I'm sorry, I'm restored. Every single time. He keeps seeking us. He keeps searching for us. He loves us. His eyes never leave us. God loves us enough to never stop looking for us. And the third observation I would say is this. God loves us so much that he refuses to let us give away our identity. He loves us so much that he refuses to let us give away our identity. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he wouldn't even let him get to the line where I want to be something different than your son. He wouldn't even let him get there because it's impossible for a son to quit being a son. It's impossible for a daughter to quit being a daughter. Only the father can allow for that. Only the father can say, you're not my son, you're not my daughter. Only the father could say that. He loves us so much that he refused to let us give away our identity. John 3.16 is perhaps the most famous verse in Scripture. Even non-religious people are aware of the idea of John 3.16, whether they could quote it or not, whether they could find it in the Bible or not. And it says this, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The reality is this. God gave up a son to get you and I as sons and daughters. He gave his one and only son that you and I could become a son or a daughter of God. Galatians chapter 3 probably explains this a little better. says this in verse 23. It says before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Imagine someone watching you when you were a child that was not your parent, a babysitter, somebody that did not have the right to call you son or daughter yet. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that his faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When he says you're Abraham's seed, this goes back to a conversation between God and Abraham in the book of Genesis where he talked to Abraham about his uh, his, uh, his, the people that would come after him, his lineage. It says you'll have these people, you'll have these sons and daughters, these grandsons and granddaughters. You'll have them to come after you and all of them collectively will outnumber the stars that are in the sky. They will bless the nations of the world and the, world, the nations of the world will be blessed by them. It says that the offspring that you have will be a blessing to the entire world because you're in covenant with me. So you and I, When we come into relationship with Christ Jesus, become a part of Abraham's lineage of faith. We become a part of the family of God. And he says that you are heirs of the promise. Another place in the the New Testament, it says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are co-equal with Jesus as it relates to being sons and daughters of God. And the only way that you and I could have that right and have that role and have that identity in our life is because God gave one son to the cross so you and I could be added to the family. He gave one son to the cross. He gave Jesus to come and to live on the earth, blameless, sinless, to be sacrificed on the cross so that you and I could call him father as sons and daughters. God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do in and through us. God, I thank you that we are sons and daughters of God. You play the role of father so well. And I thank you for the story of Luke 15 where we can see that you allow us to make our own decisions, but you never stop searching and that you refuse to allow us to give up who we rightfully are in you. Help us to see ourselves as sons and daughters of God because you are our father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com/cantonchurchga.